Hi, my name is Kara Myers and welcome to the Travel Business Lounge. Each week I chat with women who have built incredible businesses in the travel and tourism industry. You'll hear their inspirational stories of success. We went from 2,000 a month to about 70, 72,000 a month um, in that span of, of nine years. And struggle. I wish that I could tell you that I pivoted really quickly and like jumped back on my feet and I did it. And what they learned along the way. Give yourself the grace of knowing that it's not gonna happen overnight and you're gonna make a ton of mistakes. And as long as you learn from them and move forward, that's okay. So grab a coffee, hit subscribe and get ready to learn and feel inspired. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Travel Business Lounge, the place where we celebrate and learn from female entrepreneurs in the travel industry. In today's episode, I am speaking with Quinn LaRue of NOLA Drag Tours, New Orleans' first drag tour company, which focuses on sharing the city's queer and feminist history. Uh, Within the first few months of launching, NOLA Drag Tours was met with resounding success and became the number one activity on Airbnb experiences in New Orleans. Now, this is an impressive feat for any startup tour company, uh, but especially impressive to achieve in New Orleans, which is probably one of the most highly competitive tourism destinations in the country. Today, Quinn talks us through her experience launching a walking tour company, including the major challenges she faced as a queer woman running this business on her own. She also shares an absolutely genius marketing strategy she used to organically grow NOLA Drag Tours so quickly. It's so simple, yet so effective, and something that never would have crossed my mind, so I promise you'll want to stick around to hear it. Now, this episode was originally recorded in the fall of 2020, and unfortunately, Quinn is no longer taking bookings for NOLA Drag Tours. The good news is that she's found another job doing something else that she loves after an incredibly difficult year in the tourism industry. Still, her tours will be very much missed. Quinn was a joy to chat with and I really hope you enjoy listening today. Now let's get right into it. Here it is, Quinn LaRue from NOLA Drag Tours. All right, hello, Quinn. Welcome to the Travel Business Lounge. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm excited to talk to you as the founder of NOLA Drag Tours. Uh, one, just because it, it sounds like such a unique tour experience, and I want to learn more about what that experience entails, but also, you seem to have had profound success with this company in, in a really short amount of time. I mean, obviously, we're talking pre-COVID, and we'll get into that a little bit. But just looking at when you started and looking at your the number of incredible reviews on TripAdvisor, on Airbnb, and in a really competitive city for tourism, it's, it's pretty incredible. So thank you for being here. Um, but before we get into the business side of things... Let's just hear a little bit more about your background, your, you know, where you came from, how you ended up in New Orleans, and how you came to start NOLA Drag Tours. Right. So I'm originally from Tennessee. I was born in um, a really rural corner of Tennessee that uh, not a lot of people would recognize the name of. Uh, but we moved all over, and I was just trying to uh, get it. I always wanted to leave Tennessee and leave the South. I ended up going to the University of Tennessee because it was cheaper and I ended up studying mostly sociology and things. But I became really interested mostly in 
uh, very specific types of queer history. And later I became very interested in the history of sexuality and things like that. That was always something I had on the back burner. I spent a lot of time working for nonprofits and I have definitely gotten back into the organizing activism sphere uh, during COVID for a lot of different reasons. Uh, but that's what I was doing. And it just got to a point where it kind of fell off for a little bit. And I was just working in coffee shops and I needed something to do. And I tried drag basically as a on a whim and said, I'll see with what it's like, see if I enjoy it. And then the first time I did it, I really just fell in love with it as an art form. It allowed me to do a lot in a really short amount of time. And it let me tell these really ridiculous stories. I'd always been a writer as my primary way of expressing myself, but I was always really bad about finishing these really, I always was very ambitious with my writing. But when it came to drag, I had like def definitive seven minutes to do whatever I wanted with it. And it gave me like maximum. And so that allowed me to really think about it in a different way. And I became really successful and I was working um, two or three nights a week sometimes. And having to do that and doing coffee was not a good idea. And so I decided <laughs> to try thinking about different jobs that would work better for my schedule. I had some friends who did tours in the city. And so I got my license and I was going to go work for ghost tour companies, but I was so quickly frustrated by the information that was being presented. I like study history really deeply. I'm a definite history buff and nerd. I could show you my book stack right now. It's like right up here next to the, it's taller than my computer is right now. And it's just history books that most people would probably find really boring. Um, <laughs> but it's what really interests me. And so I would listen to them say things that I knew not to be true. And I remember distinctly, I was being trained by this one tour guide who did not mention the name of even one woman. And when I asked if I could incorporate queer stories into my tour, I was told my tour had to be family friendly. And wow. I decided that didn't really work for me. And I didn't want to do tours if I was going to have to tell history that I didn't care about. And so I kind of at the same time came up with the idea of what if I just did the tour in drag? Like this is, we are post RuPaul's Drag Race. Anybody would book that for any reason. And so <laughs> I just decided to start my own company. And, but I also really went into it instead of just being like, I'm going to be this drag queen who's doing a tour of the city. I wanted to do something that was completely different than what everyone else was doing. It was going to center the stories of not just women and queer people who are the only stories in history I really care that much about, uh, but I wanted it to be the people who were the least family friendly, the least respectable people. So I do a history of brothels, burlesque and uh, queer nightlife in the city. And it just was a really winning combination. And then it just kind of really picked up really quickly. And of course, COVID happened. I, I can't pretend like I'm just thriving with a wonderful <laughs> business right now. I, I still have some tours, but it's just there's so many things with that. But before COVID, I will definitely say it was a runaway success. And I ended up getting to a point where I was like, I should expand. And I was like, no, I should just work less. And so I just got <laughs> to a point where I was just working tours that I wanted to be more selective. And so that's basically the story of me and the tour together. Wow. Okay. So you, so when did you first start doing drag? What year was that? Well, I'm not good with years, ironically. <laughs> um, I have these flashcards for the tours. But I started about three years ago. Uh, it was the first time I did it. Okay. And then would you say it was about a year or so after that that you started with your own 
tour company or? It was probably about two years then I started doing the tour. And yeah, it's so it would have been almost two years now (laughs) under different circumstances. But Okay, so your first real season was 2019. Is that correct? Yes. Wow. Okay. And to have that many reviews and to be, because I was looking at Airbnb experiences in New Orleans and yours was, you know, top, top of, of everything. And there's so many different types of walking tours in New Orleans, ghost tours, food tours, um, your standard history tours. And to really stand out is, is pretty remarkable. Um, okay. So how did you, I mean, you said you got licensed when you first went to start, start leading tours for, for other companies. But when you first had the idea, no, I want to break out and, and do this on my own, what were the first sort of steps you took? So the first thing that I did was really solidify the research uh, and make sure that my product was really good. Uh, there was a lot of things that I was just like, how do you start your own company and all of that? And I ended up asking for a lot of different pieces of advice. The best piece of advice I got was just just start doing it and see what happens. And so, but I also was very broke. I think this company, I started this company with less than like in debt, pretty significantly. So I probably started like living paycheck to paycheck. And I asked my friends to donate to help me just take a break from having to work a coffee shop job and just give me the chance to focus on this and see if I could make it work. And so I got that fundraising to happen. I quit my job. I spent, I left the city for Christmas and spent a lot of time reading books. Then I came back in January, mostly just asking my friends who had already supported me. And I said, just come take the tour, bring some of your friends. And then I just kind of spiraled from there. I never really purchased much advertising. I never did much of anything of that. I just really focused on talking to people that I already knew and just having it out in the world. And then it just slowly picked up again and again and again until it got to the point where it was, if I put a tour on Airbnb experiences, sometimes even just out in general, it would be fully booked. And I had to really think very carefully about when I wanted to work, because if I just put them all out there, I would be working it. So yeah. Wow. That's, that's, incredible that kind of organic growth I think it's a testament to the the quality of the tours because they're only going to succeed like that if they are really good um all right so you said you started with one tour that you offered that was the brothels tour how did you come up with a like map that route out for example so there was basically the first tours that I did they were all very similar they were all basically the same thing that I was just doing over and over again Um, and I probably would have just kept on doing that, uh, indefinitely because it became really easy. So I really approached the tour, unlike most people when they do tours, put them out there because I really went into it, not necessarily, well, wanting to entertain, but also being very serious about the things that I wanted to get across through my tour. So the lens of like sexuality and queerness and brothels and all of that are really interesting and fascinating ways to start looking at history. But I use it as an opportunity to talk about so many other things in the city's history. I'm very, like, I don't hide anything about the city's history. I probably present one of the, like, most, like, honest, um, like, discussions of things like the history of slavery in the city and things like the history of 
the rise of like the white supremacist groups that crushed the early uh, post-Civil War activism and thriving communities. And being able to talk about sex work and do that at the same time gives people this completely different angle at it. And so I approached it, especially as time went on and on, as more about this is what I want to get across. And here is the most interesting and fascinating way to do it. And of course, I also love the history of dance and brothels. And I love being able to tell people very honest and serious stories. And I, so I kind of approached the route less so about this is the building where that was, but this is the story of the city's history. The only um, like negative feedback I've ever gotten was there's not a lot of buildings to look at. And I was like, well, it's an mm-hmm. underground history of a city. So there's not going <laughs> to be prominently, dis- well, there is one prominently displayed, displayed brothel but it's really hard to build a tour like that. And so I essentially designed it mm. with here are the stories I want to tell and here are the best places to tell those stories, uh, which sometimes was a learning curve on whether certain spaces were ideal. But I found the old bars that were really important. I found old brothel spaces, certain streets, certain neighborhoods that had this very different style. And I had a lot of spaces and I narrowed it down mostly based off of walking and it's changed um not that significantly but the the route I just adapted to to where it was something that just this just works timing wise because the timing is a really important thing when I was working well I I, there was a time when I would do two or three tours in a day uh which is a lot for a person and I have to know what I'm doing as far as the timing and so I had to really tighten up the stories because I could talk about this stuff forever Um, And I have to people before. So (laughs) I think I think that's a really good way to approach it, because I know as someone who loves to go on walking tours and I was a walking tour guide in D.C. for a few years. uh, My favorite tours are ones that are focused on stories, not just on telling you the facts and dates and, you know, a, a kind of a bullet list of information about a specific specific site. Uh, but yeah, telling you the cultural history, the sociological history of a place. So that sounds that sounds great. Um, what were you know? So you said you you got your first clients kind of just through word of mouth. Um, were the first platforms that you were promoting yourself on then Airbnb and TripAdvisor, or were you using social media to any capacity? I started honestly using social media more than I was like than I do now. I barely use any of my social media things because I've started to realize where my income was coming from and it's run a like a one woman business basically. It takes a lot of thinking about all that stuff and I approached it towards like how do I want to be thinking about my income and all of that. So I started doing just social media which did work because I was just reaching out to my friends and their friends, and I just told them, hey, come on this. And it was really, it was nicer to build in that way. Um, The smartest thing that I did was definitely going to bartenders who I knew worked in the gay bars um, and going up to them and saying, would you like to go on this tour for free? Or just building a relationship with those uh, bartenders more so than the owners. Um, So it was the people who were working, having these discussions. I got so many people just from hearing, oh, this there's this tour that happens uh, because the tour really sells itself. And it was something that I approached it as like, I mean, all of it, it's New Orleans. Everyone works in the service industry. So being able to just reach out to my friends who do that 
and to build from my shows and like have those things all build and onto each other. I did all of that without Airbnb experiences at first. I got to where I was like, I need some more income. Why don't I try doing this Airbnb experiences thing? And it was just a really quick, it sells it for you. Uh, it's very similar to a concierge desk, I guess, which are expensive. Uh, they take a lot of money, which I was—I just wasn't interested in doing uh, because I was thinking as myself, as someone who's younger, and I'm, I make it make a tour that is very much skewed towards a younger audience. So it's definitely changed over time. I designed it with a younger audience in mind. Like, who is going to a concierge desk? Who's my age? Like, who's even staying in a hotel? Who's my age? And so having like it all on social and things like that and word of mouth really just let it spread to all the younger people first. And then just from getting reviews from them is when everybody else could start to see, oh, this is something that I'm interested in, not just because I want to see this tour thing, but because of all these reviews that are there. Uh, so like I used to joke with my tour group, so that uh, the first few tours, like there's someone with purple hair, that's my group right there. And then later it was people from all over the world and people of all different age brackets. I had to end up coming up with rules about age uh, for younger younger people uh, because my tour can, it's not that inappropriate, but it's definitely something that if you brought <laughs> your 12 year old on, it uh, might raise some eyebrows uh, for other people in the group. So um, <laughs> it was just things- you get like, a little uncomfortable. It's mostly, the, the kids are all right. Like I, I think that most people in that age range, like there's nothing that they haven't heard already that I'm going to say. <laughs> But sometimes their parents, especially their dad, does not want them to hear that. <laughs> but, yeah, they don't want to witness them hearing that stuff. <laughs> no. <laughs> but, uh, that's brilliant. I mean, it sounds like you figured out, you know, who are your customers? Who are your ideal clients? And, you know, one, they're going to be going to see drag shows themselves. They'll be going to gay bars. So let's, you know, develop a relationship with those gay bars. And also, yeah, like you said, they're not going to stay in hotels necessarily, but they will likely stay, you know, in an Airbnb or, 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 or something similar. So they're going to be searching on Airbnb to, to, to find a tour like yours. That's, it's so simple, but it's so clever. Thank you. Um, I definitely, it sounds really, I think, clever now, but I was really stumbling. I could never run my own business before. I do think that having a background in organizing work and activism really helped me a lot with this. And coming back into activism and organizing work from doing the tour, they really were able to feed off each other really well because I approached it more about the people that I'm bringing on the tour, like thinking about it more from a community standpoint than I was thinking about it from a customer standpoint, uh, because I ended up really building like strong relationships with people on the tour. Though, of course, I'm not like checking in with people every week or something. That's There are people who follow my personal Instagram from the tours and being able to see like what I'm doing and also being able to connect with their friends whenever so I know that ever like most of my tours when I was running them and there was a consistent amount of time where all of this was kind of working out we didn't have a shutdown world and all these other disasters that are going on <laughs> um it was something that some people would say oh you took my friend on this tour like this they said all those great things and so it'd be just really just very naturally organically word of mouth spread because I think the tour was really beneficial to the people on it. And I feel really proud of that. 
That's great. And you should. I mean, it's a history that needs to be shared and often it isn't. So it's it's important work that you're doing and definitely the type of tour I would love to attend one of these days. Now, on a, on a practical level, when it came to things like pricing, for example, how did you determine that? What, what do you charge per person for a tour? And, and is that something that's changed um, since you started the business? I looked at all the other tours in the city and I looked at the low end of average and I just set it at a, the same price as some of the like cheapest tours in the city that weren't free. Uh, just so I could put it right there with everything else. Because again, I was targeting a younger group of people. I was targeting a group of people whose histories isn't told. Uh, I wanted it to be something by uh, like a, a trans woman and very queer person for trans and queer people and anyone who felt like they were on the outskirts of society. And so I didn't want to put it at a price point that was too high for people to realistically take it. And so I put it at a, on the low end of pricing and I asked, asked for tips at the end of the tour, which ended up being really great because I was able to get people who couldn't or didn't, <laughs> whatever those reasons, tip that much. And I also had people who were willing to give me a lot more than the asking price and were saying, oh, you should charge so much more for this. And it was I was thinking, okay, should I? Uh, because I'm getting people who would have never taken walking tours before and they're taking mine. Um, and so I kept the price low. The only thing that I've changed with COVID is I've started shortening the tour. I realized that is more than an acceptable compromise because I have all that, that background. I would rather just do a shorter tour, especially since there's no indoor spaces and that like the five minutes where I can go into the bathroom and it's New Orleans, grab a drink for the second half of the tour, which is always when the more fun <laughs> stories are. And that uh, that part of the tour, like that little break um, was so important to me and not having that. So I just shortened the tour and it's been working out so well. I was I split my tour into two separate ones, which also feels smart to me because people say, mm -hmm. I wanna, might want to do two separate ones with you. And I have a, a third one that's still in the works. I came up with a really bizarre idea to do a pandemic history tour in the city. I've only done one and it was very sad. It was shocking, I know, but um, <laughs> maybe for Halloween, I'll get some of those. But I'm just thinking shorter and the price is still the same. Like I don't feel that I think that the value is there um, mm. and people who are willing to pay more for it will. So uh, that's kind of how I've approached it. So how long was the tour originally and how long is each tour now? It was two hours with a break in the middle for drinks, and it is now uh, roughly an hour and a half is what I tell people. I say we've got a certain amount of history. I go for about an hour, but leave yourself some cushioning because we want to make sure we see all the stuff. And you never really know with New Orleans, like what's going to be happening between when you start the tour and when you get to the end. And so <laughs> a little bit of wiggle room can be helpful. That is good. Uh now, what are, I mean, so you said, for example, that you stop for a drink. And I would imagine one of the challenges with leading a tour in New Orleans is, you know, it is a party destination for a lot of people. And, you know, it, I could imagine that it's easy for guests to perhaps have one too many drinks and get a little bit rowdy. Uh, how do you, I mean, do, am I assuming correctly? And if so, how does, how do you manage that? Yeah, that's definitely was one of my biggest problems with the tour. It's not necessarily just people on it. 
And it's something that I think, like, sometimes I'll go out there and I just don't want to do it. Like, again, because I'm out there, less so now, there's less people, but I'm dressed in a way that's very elaborate, in a way that's very clear who I am, in a way that is honestly, at certain points of the year, kind of dangerous to do. Uh, to be mm. out there in drag is not something that's like a safe idea. It's kind of punk, uh, if I'm honest. So I don't, I'm very pop punk if I'm any kind of punk. Um, <laughs> so to go out there and do that, it's challenging just based off of uh, street harassment, which can get pretty extreme uh, from all kinds of angles, like people feeling really entitled to touch me, uh, people feeling really entitled to film me. Um, things like that are pretty heavy. Um, and so it's something that on the outside of the tour, I've really had to, I really had to think about uh, to where I had to, like when it was safe to do so, I had my group stay like right up next to me on the curb. And I told them it was like for my safety, because like this tour is not safe for me to do. Mm. Um, and I think that with the groups that I had, it, it took me a while to figure out what I would do. Uh, so my main option for that, is, it's the... Um, See, bachelorette parties get a bad reputation, but gay bachelor parties are so much drunker, so much more of a problem. <laughs> I, can just, I feel fine saying that. Um, so I would just tell them, look, if you are a private, if you think you're going to get drunk, book a private tour. And if you get too rowdy, we'll just stop in a bar. I'm going to stop trying to make this a history tour. I will hang out with you for the duration of the time. And we can talk about New Orleans, uh, which ended up working out great. Um, I still ended up getting similar amounts of tips um, from those groups. It was just something that I was able to, like some, like a, a part, a big part of it too, is that I have all these jokes and I'm like funny and quick on my feet. And so it was something that I could just build those quick relationships. I've done a lot of work that was just like customer service or organizing where it was all about building like a quick relationship with someone. And so that's what I really focused on, on the really drunk people. Uh, though I built in a strict policy that said I can kick someone off if they're terrible. Um, and I just started basically starting off the tour with a threat. It's like, do you really want to be kicked off the tour by a drag queen? <laughs> like, is that really <laughs> what you want <laughs> for your weekend? And so <laughs> it definitely was kind of a, a range of things as far as alcohol consumption. Sometimes it really would just be, I'll shorten the tour. I've only had to kick off like a few people in my day, one time I had to kick off an entire group. I just told them, tour's done, not feeling it anymore. And they were like, yeah. we understand. Um, and then I've had some like really, really bad um, husbands and boyfriends uh, brought along that were made my job really hard. And so it was mm. something that was very difficult to do. Um, but I think because of the way that I kind of approach it, sometimes the groups will get really tough on that person as well um so it's it really builds kind of a community space I hope uh that when somebody's really a problem that they'll get like stared down and <laughs> it's it's a it is tough uh with drinking yeah out. that is that is so difficult and I always think about that when I visit these cities but especially doing it in drag it just seems to add another level of just another another challenge I, I suppose you could say um what are some of the other, you know, challenges or obstacles you've dealt with? And again, we'll talk about COVID a bit later, but uh, uh, throughout um, running this business. I think uh, some of my early learning curves were as far as what drag in the street looks like. 
uh, for me mm-hmm. and what it looks like to um, to do it in lots of different types of weather and lots of different types of humidity and all kinds of things of that nature. It was a matter of thinking about, will my makeup melt off of my face? Uh, will this wind blow my eyelashes off? Um, like, am I willing to sacrifice this wig to the outside in New Orleans? Um, <laughs> so there was basically, it was a matter of thinking about that. Um, I also think thinking about what I wanted to do as far as like, like the drag itself was something that could be challenging for me. I definitely didn't start out as some kind of look queen. I was very much about the performance and so having to come up with something that was very much based on the look and going out there really like well-dressed to the point where people would be fine with it. Um, now I basically uh, say, I just, I'll do whatever makeup I feel like doing for the tour because I, at this point I'm almost thinking, cause I'm transitioning. I'm like have all this other stuff in my life. And I feel a little less gravitated towards drag as the direction of my life. It was something I really, before we talk about COVID, like, really having the time to think about, do I want to be doing this in five years? And I would love to keep doing the history work that I'm doing. I'm very good at it. It's a great job for me right now. Um, But thinking about how to like, having that be like such a large aspect of my personality and being in drag so much uh, was really, really changed the way I was able to move through the world and uh, changed a lot of things about the rest of my life. And it really could be really taxing at times to be in that mindset all the time and to be in that much makeup all the time. My skin has gotten mm. so much more healed after the tours uh, have definitively slowed down for COVID. Um, so those are a lot of my major concerns were the drag aspect of it itself. Uh, the tour part was always pretty easy for me. Mm. Yeah, I would imagine that's something a lot of people don't even consider, but on a very practical level, just getting ready for, you know, just getting into drag can take a long time and there's a lot of skill that that goes into that. So um, it's definitely something that should be a- appreciated in that sense. Um, are you still, I guess, again, pre-COVID, but so you're still, st- you were, were still doing drag shows in the evenings uh, while while leading tours? Yes. So I would do, um, I started thinking about which shows I took a lot more seriously when I was making all all of my income through drag and everything about um, my life was becoming drag. It was less like, I just want to do a show to be in drag. That sounds so fun. It's like, I've been in drag since 10 this morning. I don't want to do your show. Like (laughs) It's not something that's going to be something I enjoyed doing, then I would just not do it anymore. I set definitive mm. rules for myself. I said, no more bingo. Um, like, I'll never do a brunch. Like there's things like that that I just don't want to do uh, because they weren't fun for me. And so I just, it took me a second to really approach like the keeping drag fun for myself while it also being a major part of my work. Um, and I definitely think that relationship has gotten healthier over time. Um, I'm obviously not doing night shows now. There are people who are still doing shows online and I commend them. I will never do an online show. It's not what I want to do. Um, I don't feel like it's uh, my drag would fit there uh, without like some skill with a camera, which I do not have. So Mm. yeah, I just right now, the only drag that I'm doing is the very, very occasional tours that I'm getting at this point. Um, It's just slowly reopening to where 
I feel more comfortable with some groups that are a little bit bigger, but I've taken mostly a couple people out here, a couple people out there. It's slowly getting to the point where the city's just entered phase three. And so I can think about it. Okay, now I can take a group of nine and I don't feel that weird about it um, because the city is telling us it's that open. Right. And yeah, so I guess yeah, going forward, We've avoided it long enough. Let's talk a little bit about COVID, you know. <laughs> so how how has it impacted your business and how did you, you know, did you have any things that worked well or ways that you adapted or things that you learned from? And then going forward, um, you know, kind of what do you see for your business? So when it first happened, uh, walking tours in New Orleans became all but illegal to run. <laughs> so um, this for a very good reason, but you just, they were shut down definitively. And I wasn't sure what to do. I realized that I could qualify for unemployment. So I took it um, and I just was unemployed. And I was really thinking, it really got to the point where, I mean, I got, I was pretty devastated, honestly, by COVID financially, because I had to pay, still had to pay my taxes from the past year. And I was relying on still working. And so I had, I really got in this really rough position. Uh, I'm still in that position, honestly. I moved and I've reapproached a lot of things. I've taken a few different jobs and I'm still, I'm working my way through it uh, because I don't qualify for more unemployment now. Um, But as far as the tour, I got to a point where I was thinking this tour just might not last through this pandemic. Uh, can you still make money off a walking tour? Is it still practical? And I got to the point where I thought if I can and keep it as a part of the way that I'm earning money, uh, then I want that. Uh, I don't think it's practical to make it my only way. And so I started making masks, uh, sewing masks and doing that and doing tours on a very occasional basis. I try doing some online work with tours, which, um, it's kind of started to work a little bit, but it's something that it just was not the same. Uh, so I feel like I have a business that's really hard to run through a pandemic, um, just obviously so. And it's just not easy. I think that the things that we're working, like word of mouth, it's not working right now because the people who, like, I to take my tour, this is maybe sound, going to sound bad, uh, it's obviously not the case, but the people who are traveling right now uh, to New Orleans, like all of our bars were shut down. Uh, like all of like we had the city was decimated. It's like a, it was a super spreading zone multiple times. And so for people to come down here as tourists right now, uh, it's just was really irresponsible. And it was something that um, hit a lot of my friends' families really close to home. And so I felt really unethical, like even running a tour for a while. Um, but it got to the point almost, this is going to sound awful, but I just had to do it, right? I had to do something for work. And so I said, okay, well, I'm going to offset <laughs> running the tours by donating to some organizations that are going to help fight evictions. And I'm still working on ways to I'm like have a list, of, like a, an amount that I'm like building up for. And I'm going to, that I'm going to donate once this is over uh, so I can feel fine about running this tour, right? Um, It's just very heavy to work in public right now um, and to tell those kind of stories. And uh, my tour could skew a lot more emotional than people would think it would. Like, it is really funny, but it also 
has some moments that are really pretty heavy because um, it's a queer history. It's not always easy. And so having those moments now could be really, are really tough as well. Um, and it's just a slow going process of rebuilding the tour um, and being able to run it with a mask, with social distancing, with group caps. Um, because honestly, if they're, the people are already there together and I'm six feet away from them, it's the risk is fairly low. Um, and so I've been able to run some for locals who just have their friends visiting. I've reached out to friends who booked it before who are working to help support it in that way. And so I'm slowly getting back into a point where I'm thinking, okay, well, people might be here for reasons that aren't. I'm going to go party in a city that's totally shut down. Um, and yeah, I don't, it's a hard question to answer. I mean, travel right now is something that's a really tough topic for a lot of people, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's been so hard for so many different industries. And then if you look at just travel, you know, from hotels to walking tours to activity companies, it's so widespread. But I love how I love your commitment to to ethical tours. It just seems to run through everything you do from the information that you're presenting to the fact that you were unwilling to do tours unless you felt certain it was relatively safe and then to on top of that considering the financial devastation you've experienced to donate a, a portion of that to, to some of these charities is is really commendable so yeah I'm I'm blown away by that that's amazing I mean it's just something um like I don't I don't like to think about it too much like that it's like I feel like it's how I have to do it uh, because I don't, I've experienced some really bad bosses. I've seen people do some really bad things um, in my life. And I didn't want to even entertain the idea that I could be like any of those people. So for me, it's less about trying to be good as far as it's just like, this is what I have to do to be able to run this, uh, this business. And I also know that that's a part of the reason that it's been successful. Uh, so I see like the amount, the money that I was making from the tours um, as far as just tour sales, if I really looked at it, like I did fine as a business, right? Uh, but from the tips that I made coming in from all of what was donated to me, because the work that I was doing was good, was enormous, uh, was far more than I could have asked for in a year, uh, far more than I could have earned working doing anything else. And so for me, I think of it less so as like I'm giving this. It's I feel very reciprocal that I'm getting so much back from what I'm putting into it. And I think if I had run it in a way that's just like, oh, haha, I'm this drag queen who's out here. Look, there's a building, there's a ghost. It, I would not have gotten the amount of income that I actually made. And I wouldn't have been able to do a lot of things. I got to go to New York for the first time this year, uh, which I wish I didn't do because I would have probably not been in a tax issue right now. Um, but I got to do that because of the generosity, really, of the people who took my tours. Um, and so, and the same with the people who are living here now who are taking the tour. Like, I want to, I can't do it in the way that I really wanted to now. To where if, if I started really working again and I saw the city, like, crumbling around me, like, I couldn't live with myself like that. I couldn't see my friends getting evicted and be fine. Um, that's just not the kind of person I am. Oh, that makes me happy to hear because it just shows, you know, good karma. You do good things, good things come back to you. So hopefully, you know, when all this is over, there'll be lots and lots of good things coming your way. 
Um, but I'd like to end on a lighter note and talk about your podcast because I listened to a few episodes and loved it. Uh, so could you just speak a little bit about what it is and if it has any kind of relationship to your uh, tour business? Right. So my podcast is Loose, A History of Sex and Vice, um, and I call it a shameless and uncensored history. Um, it's where it's just talking about the history of things that you really don't get anywhere else, um, though there's definitely other podcasts that touch on similar issues. A lot of them, I don't, I was very, I became very interested in the history of sex um, obsessively, especially after the tour, when I realized I had a real knack for telling it well. And I wanted to just know like everything there was to know about it so that when people asked me a question, I could say, oh, well, let me tell you this much longer story about this. And I was able to respond to questions with a lot more than people would ever expect to get. And I was looking for podcasts because I do a lot of like tedious labor, like with sewing and things like that. And I listened to some of these sex history podcasts and I don't just like, I'm not going to name any of them, but some of them were so dry. They were trying to talk about the history of sex without any real perspective on it. Or on the alternative side, it was this whole like, oh, how scandalous there was a gay. And it was, I, I'm not, that's, <laughs> it was, it bothered me because that need, I, for, I, there's a balance that I try to strike with my tour that I really crave in history where it's talking about everything that's filthy and dirty and that's uh, obscure. And it, it has all the joy that comes with that. It's just like, oh my gosh, there are people uh, like fighting and then going and having sex and all of this and all of the drugs that were there at the parties and all of this. Like, that's really fascinating. But there's also this other side where there's the train of history that's the important stuff with heavy quotes. And all of this is going through. Uh, but what I wasn't seeing and continue not to see very much of and I, that I think is a real problem with history is that I didn't see people like taking that like train of history thing and running it like through the lens of all the dirty stuff. And so what I wanted to do with my uh, podcast and with my tours, uh, I did the podcast because I, I have to be honest, I got tired of talking about New Orleans history all the time <laughs> and I needed some other place to do um, this entertaining uh, work. And that's very rewarding for me. So I started the podcast mostly as a passion project uh, with some hopes that it would kind of blow up. Right now I'm thinking it's probably not going to happen, but it is nice to have something like that. Although, of course, again, it's been hard to do in a really serious way. I was supposed to release an episode this week, but then so many things happened. Um, and so it can be tough to hold down anything at this point, which sounds bad, but I'm going to get back into doing it. Um, so having that as a way to talk about, like I did an episode on moonshine and a history of uh, women bootleggers, which is something I've always been interested in and being able to just go off the rails and talk about whatever I want and people who are really interested in this kind of history, having that as an option uh, to go further with me and hopefully inspire people to like, my dream is that I'll tell a story somewhere and then we'll get some like, great book written about it. I don't want to write that book. But I do want people uh, to get hear that information and for it to change the way that they think. And so running a podcast is another way for me to tell history, which I'm good at doing, um, and spread that information even further. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think there's a lot of, I mean, podcasts are becoming so popular now. And I do think there's a lot of opportunity for people to 
you know, find your tours through your podcast. You know, if, if someone's interested in the history of sex or queer history, feminist history, they're going to seek out podcasts like that. And it's a great way to, to, to get connected to you if they're ever in New Orleans. So I hope you have success with that as well. And if, if anyone that's listening, definitely check it out. Uh, loose. Um, but before we go, if, if you could just share, you know, where people could find you if they wanted to get in touch, either to take your tours or just, um, just to speak with you. So the easiest way to get in touch with me is I am loosely on Instagram at Quinn LaRue Drag. That's Q-U-I-N-N-L-A-R-O-U-X Drag. So you can find me there. It has links to my podcast. I also share mostly cat pictures and food pictures on my story uh, right now because that's what my life looks like. Uh, And uh, things like that. You can find the tours at NOLA Drag Tours dot com really easy to find and they're pretty easy to book there you just press book a tour they're all private right now i'm still on airbnb experiences i believe that's reopened um so i have some spaces on there you could book as well and then my podcast is loose a history of sex and vice it's on spotify as well as on apple podcast perfect well thank you so much quinn it's been a pleasure great thank you so much